Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. So Ephesians chapter number six. Anyone, everyone there already? Ephesians chapter number six. We are going to be in verse number 10, beginning in verse number 10 this morning. And uh, starting to get a little bit to another transition in the book of Ephesians, but really it's still under the, uh, the umbrella, so to say, of living out the gospel. Um, but specifically, today we're especially going to see, Paul says, none of this is a game. Okay, Everything we've been talking about, this, is, this has real life, uh, uh, it, it, it has... It has weight to it, is what Paul is uh, really about to tell us. There is a war going on that we are a part of, and we need to recognize that and get engaged in that war. And we're really going to see that, especially the next few weeks, as we look, uncover what Paul says in the next few verses. But today, we're really going to be introduced to the fact that we are at war. This is war. So Ephesians chapter number 6, and starting in verse number 10, the Bible says this. Finally... My brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you once again this morning. And we ask that you would bless this time in your word. Lord, would you help us to have open minds and hearts to hear from you what you have for us through your word. Lord, I, I pray that every single word that comes out of my mouth, my words, Lord, that so oftentimes fail... May they be bolstered and, and strengthened by your words that never pass away. Lord, would your word truly speak to us this morning? And would your spirit do what I cannot this morning? And that is encourage and challenge and strengthen your people's hearts so that we might be able to live out what we hear in your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As, uh, as we've traveled through the book of Ephesians, uh, we, we've seen Paul's train of thought really rally behind two different concepts. Of course, we've consistently brought up this flow of thought uh, being gospel identity and then flowing that gospel identity flowing into gospel living. But among these thoughts are, are some interesting words. As Paul unpacks this continuous thought of being in Christ, he gives some interesting wording. We see a few times early on in the book that we are seated in Christ. We're seated with him in heavenly places and that we're sitting uh, in, in our position in Christ. Our identity is seated firm in who Christ is and what he has done for us. We ourselves are seated with him in heavenly places from which all of our spiritual blessings flow. And then, as we've seen the last couple of months especially, he transitions into not being just seated in Christ, but walking in Christ. He uses the word walk continuously for uh, 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 quite a few verses in 
this in this book as he unpacks how the gospel isn't just something we're seated in and positioned in, but also something that is lived out. Uh, it, it's something that we not only are to enjoy, the gospel is not just something to enjoy and to rest in, but the gospel is something that we should actually be fleshing out each and every day in our lives and living, uh, living it out. The way Christ uh, should... The way of Christ should be lived out tangibly in our marriages, in our homes, in our workplaces, and in and all throughout society. And, and then today we see another transition take place. Instead of being seated in Christ or walking in Christ, we, be, we see Paul talking about standing in Christ. About standing in Christ. The connotation seems to be that the gospel is not only something to be seated firm in or to be lived out, but also something that is to be defended. There's a real enemy who is constantly and consistently attacking the things of God, the purposes of God, and the people of God, and that includes us. Because And, and because of this, we need to understand we are at war. But sadly, many of us... Uh, many Christians do not realize this, or if they do, they do not live as though this is reality, that we're at war. And if we get anything from the message today, what I want us to recognize is this. We are at war. Make no mistake about it. We are at war, and we need to wake up and engage in the battle. No more playing around. We must go to battle. I love how uh, a man by the name of A.W. Tozer said it, and, and uh, this is more of a lengthy quote. I don't normally just read off. In fact, they tell you in like if you ever take a speech class and like public speaking, they tell you not to read lengthy quotes. So I'm about to break that rule, but this is just too good. Okay, listen to what he says about this. He says this in the early days when Christianity exercised a dominant influence over American thinking. Men conceived the world to be a battleground. Our fathers believed in sin and the devil and hell as constituting one force, and they believed in God and righteousness and heaven as the other. By their very nature, these forces were opposed to each other forever in deep, grave, irreconcilable hostility. Man, our fathers held, had to choose sides. He could not be neutral. For him, it must be life or death. Heaven or hell. And if he chooses to come out on God's side, he could expect open war with God's enemies. The fight would be real and deadly and would last as long as life continued here below. Men looked forward to heaven as return from the war. A laying down of the sword to enjoy in peace the home that is prepared for them. Sermons and songs in those days often had a martial quality about them, or perhaps a trace of homesickness. The Christian soldier thought of home and rest and reunion, and his voice grew plaintive as he sang of battle ended and victory won. But whether he was charging into enemy guns or dreaming of war's end and the father's welcome home, he never forgot what kind of world he currently lived in. It was a battleground, and many were wounded and slain. That view is unquestionably scriptural, scriptural, allowing for the figures and metaphors with which the scriptures abound. It is still a solid Bible doctrine that tremendous spiritual forces are present in the world. And man, because of his spiritual nature, nature is caught in the middle. The evil powers are bent upon destroying him while Christ is present to save him through the power of the gospel. 
To obtain deliverance, he must come out on God's side in faith and obedience. That in brief is what our fathers thought, and that, we believe, is what the Bible teaches. How different today. The fact remains the same, but the interpretation has changed completely. Men think of the world not as a battleground, but as a playground. We are not here to fight. We are here to frolic. We are not in a foreign land. We are at home. We are not getting ready to live, but we are already living. And the best we can do is rid ourselves of our inhibitions and our frustrations and live this life to the full. This, we believe, is a fair summary of the religious philosophy of modern man, openly professed by millions and tacitly held by many more millions who live out that philosophy without having given it verbal expression. It goes on to say this. This must change. A right view of God and the world to come requires that we have a right view of the world in which we live and of our relationship to it. So much depends upon this that we cannot afford to be careless about it. This world we live in is not a playground, but a battleground. My friends, we are at war. We are. Even worse, in the midst of this war that the Bible says is going on, We have to understand we are on enemy territory in the war. Uh, We do not have home field advantage in this war right now. The Bible calls this planet that we call home, it calls it the dominion of Satan. And you were born not in a world that has already been redeemed by Christ. You live in a world that is run by the powers of evil. And those powers of evil have been there since your birth. They preceded your birth. And unless Jesus comes back in your lifetime, they will be here long after you leave the earth. And in the midst of this war, you have you found yourself to be a combatant. And, and there is no, uh, I haven't chosen a side, okay? You, you might be here and think, no, I haven't taken a side. I'm just an innocent party in all of this. But actually, here's the truth. Regardless of if you've taken a side, you are already the enemy of the enemy of God. And we'll see that in just a moment. There, there is an adversary that is against you, whether you have chosen a side or not. And our passage today begins to describe a spiritual war that every single one of us have been a part of since birth. And the question is not whether or not you find yourself in the midst of a battle or in the midst of a war. The question of this passage is how do you prepare for the battle? That is what the question is of this passage. So... Uh, if, if I would have started the message out by asking this, how many of you feel like life is a battle? Most of us would probably go, yeah, right? Like life is definitely war. You would think so because it seems that each and every day just to get up and go to work is a battle. Uh, that just to keep the marriage relationship going is a battle at times. And to care for your children the way you're supposed to. And and to pay your bills and to pay your taxes and then on top of all that to watch the world fall apart as it so often seems to be doing. And so many of us we would hear is life. Does it feel like life is war? Does it feel like life is a battle? We'd say absolutely yes. The problem is many of us may be thinking of the wrong war. Uh, Or or a sub war I should say. A sub battle of the ultimate battle that's actually going on. Because many of us think in terms of political war or cultural war, or relational war, or business or school as war, but in reality there is a broader, bigger war that places itself over all of these things. A war that goes all the way back to the days of Adam and Eve, a war that you and I 
are caught up in, and it is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. And this passage of scripture, which we'll be covering for really the next couple of weeks, teaches us how you can be prepared for that war. So let's consider for a few moments how we can prepare for spiritual warfare. And I want us to see first and foremost, if, if we're going to prepare for this war that we're already a part of, but we need to be prepared for it. If we're going to prepare for this war, you need to first of all, know your enemy. You need to know your enemy. Verse number 12 says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, uh, uh, against spiritual wickedness in high places. See, here's one of the biggest dangers in the life of many Christians today. It's that you assume that your enemy is somebody that is actually not your enemy. Too many of us see other people as the enemy who are not the actual enemy. Uh, you, you may think, no, pastor, I know my enemy. She sleeps next to me every single night. Or, or uh, we, we know our enemy. Me and my, my uh, spouse, we're, we have a united front against the children, our enemy, right? And, and, and we keep them at bay as much as we can. And, and uh, I, I know my enemy. It's my boss or a co-worker or, or, uh, or, or a politician or a political party or a, a customer at work. Well, I know my enemy. No, pastor, you said I have an enemy. I know who it is. But the scripture says we don't fight in this battle against other human beings at all. We fight demonic forces is what it says. This is talking about different classifications of demons when it gives all of these uh, different kinds, uh, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. Uh, classifications of demons of Satan and those who follow him. Our enemy ultimately is not flesh and blood, human beings. Our enemy is the devil. That is our enemy. And though the devil is damned, though he is defeated and will ultimately see utter destruction, his battle is still going on right now as he fights the followers of Christ. Jesus, he told his followers, his disciples in Luke 22, when uh, he said to Peter, he, he said, Peter, Simon, Satan desires to have you, to sift you like wheat. It's interesting if you actually look at it. It looks like in English he's only talking to Peter. But the, the word there in Greek is actually plural. He's talking to all of them. He's saying, no, no, no. I'm specifically looking at you, Simon. But the devil wants all of you. The devil wants to sift all of you as wheat. He wants to have every single one of you. And he's coming after you. And so then Jesus said, so know this. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you because Satan... Is coming after you. And then Peter, after a life lived of, of recognizing that very truth, that the devil was after him and that the devil is on, uh, constantly fighting against the people of God. He said in one of his letters, he says this, hey, you need to be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, he walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Peter understood and Paul understood that Satan, he has an intentional plan to take you down. And he will do so subtly. He will do so with intentional scheming. That's what the word wiles in our passage today means, the wiles of the devil. Intentional schemes, cunning of the devil. Listen, whether, whether you're a Christian or not this morning, Satan hates you. He hates you. 
See, Satan's origin story, if you will, goes all the way back to a time where he was one of the angels in the presence of God. He was known as Lucifer, and he was created as a beautiful creature, as a musical creature even. And he, he was one of the angels that stood near the Lord as he sat upon his throne. And he, he was one of the ones who brought glory to God and protected his holy name. And as he was there, as Lucifer was there in the very presence of God himself, pride began to enter his heart. And he began to lie to himself as he looked at God on his throne. And he started to think, I can do his job. <laughs> and, and sadly, we do this too. Every time we question God's sovereignty or question God's goodness or question how he works in our lives or in the world, in those times we are thinking really the same thought as Satan saying, God does a pretty good job on his throne, but I wonder what would happen if I was sitting there and was in control. And the answer is that thought is rebellion against God Almighty. It is pride in our hearts as it was in Lucifer's heart. And he says and thinks to himself, I can do this job. I could sit on that throne. In fact, I will, is what he says. I will ascend to the highest. I will be like the most high God. And ever since that day that he said this, there has been a spiritual war going on. And we find ourselves in the midst of this war. But when this happened, when this happened, there was a spiritual battle that took place. And a third of the angelic beings, the Bible tells us, had started already to believe Satan had their best interests at heart. And as a result, they all get thrust out, kicked out of heaven, and they're completely rejected by God, the one against whom they rebelled. Okay, pastor, I understand that, but why does he hate us? Because of the next thing that God did. After all of this has taken place, it tells us in the Bible back in Genesis that God comes down to a planet called Earth and he takes up dust of the Earth and creates and molds the first human, Adam. And he breathes into him the breath of life. And man becomes a living soul. You say, why would Satan hate that? And God was a creator and he was just... Keep on creating. Here's the reason, because it tells us in Genesis 3 and other passages as well that when God created man, he created man and woman in his image, in his very image. The one thing Satan wanted more than anything was to be God. And now God has gone down to dirt and made something out of dirt that is in his own image. And from that moment... You became the enemy of Satan. He hates you because of who you remind him of. He hates you. And so he came after our mother first, Eve, the mother of humanity. And then our father, Adam, he convinced them to eat the fruit and they decided to doubt God and to sin. And that sin passed down from their life to your life. And the devil has continued to fight mankind ever since. And his plan is really very simple. Satan's plan is really very simple. It's this. If you are not a believer in Christ, Satan's plan against you is to keep you from becoming a believer in Christ. Mm -hmm. To keep you from salvation. You're currently on your way to a place called hell. And Satan will do all that he can to distract you and to deceive you uh, and, and to occupy you with things until the day that you die. So that when you die, you have never come to trust in Christ so that you will live one day in utter destruction. 
That is his plan. And the reason you find yourself entranced in sin and on the things of this world is because he wants to distract you until the day that you die so that you will do so without Christ and in your life, without Christ in your life. And so that he will have thought, at least in that person's life, I won. That is his plan. That's the devil's scheme for you right now if you are not a believer. Well, how do I defeat that? Well, God has brought you here to this moment and maybe to many moments uh, that you could hear the gospel and you could receive Christ as your savior. Now, you can rebel against God and, and not accept his free gift of salvation and reject him as savior like the devil rejected him and like many people in mankind have chosen to reject him. Or you could receive Christ as your savior and you will be what the Bible says saved. And if you've never done that, you should do that today. Accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you have any questions on how, uh, find me after the service. I'd love to show you from the Bible how you could know that. However, many in here, we are saved. We do know Christ. And you say, well, I, I am a Christian. It looks like I beat him. The devil's plan to, to, to get me down and to make me die without Christ and to live in utter destruction forever. I beat him by trusting in Jesus Christ. Well, here's the devil's plan for you now that you are in the war uh, as a Christian, you've chosen your side, is he wants you to, first of all, forget that you're in the war. He wants you to forget you're in the war. He wants to lull you to sleep. And one thing he'll do, he, he will subtly distract you with sin. He wants to entrap you in sin. He, and he doesn't just automatically get you stuck in sin. He starts out subtly. People just uh, aren't all of a sudden addicted to things they shouldn't be addicted to. People aren't just all of a sudden entranced in sexual sin, it starts with small temptations and attacks from the and attacks from the devil and turns into that addiction, that stronghold in their life. People aren't just all of a sudden not in church at all and not doing any of the things of God. The devil started with subtle attacks, like maybe nobody noticed I was gone last week. I came this week and nobody said, "Hey, they missed me last week." Someone was sitting in my chair this week. <laughs> Little things like you, you, I, we laugh, but it's it's serious. That the devil will use whatever he can to plant little seeds of doubt in our minds that eventually, ultimately, he will get us completely gone from the things of God. Uh, and we, we are convinced by him too often uh, of, of ideas or of sin not being as detrimental to our life as it actually is. He is he's wily and he is calculated. And he will distract you with sin and he'll distract you in other ways so that when times are good, you will focus on all the awesome things that you have instead of God. And then he'll distract you in the times that are bad. He'll convince you to focus on other elements of the battle that are not spiritual in nature. And one of the greatest ways Satan distracts us is by convincing us that someone other than him is our enemy. Other humans, we have to realize, are not the enemy. Satan is our enemy. I, I believe it's very important for us to notice why Paul says, hey, you don't wrestle with flesh and blood. It's spiritual warfare. Because he just got done talking about how we're supposed to fight for godly marriages and fight for godly homes and fight for godly workplaces and what we're going to do in the workplace. He just talked about all of these relationships. And now he's talking about war. And it's very easy for us to think, well, this is war. And what he's saying is, no, that this is only war because you have an enemy that's not those people that you're warring with. 
You're too often looking at those people as the difficulties come in your home and in your marriage and in your workplace. You're looking at them as the enemy, but ultimately you need to understand Satan is the enemy. You might think, well, but pastor, there's actually, there's actually a lot of humans I don't like. <laughs> uh, and it seems like they're working for the enemy. Uh, when, I, when I hear about what they're doing and what they say, it seems like they're working for the enemy. Well, it actually tells us in the Bible, I believe it was when Paul was talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy, his letter to him. He tells us who these people are, and he tells us they're not the enemy. They're actually captives of the enemy. Uh, there is no human that is your enemy, spiritually speaking. The enemy, though, has captured humans. And Paul tells Timothy, don't fight with these people. Instead, with patience, persuade them in the word of God, patiently win them with love, patiently win them with mercy and goodness toward them while speaking the truth. And God may work in their heart that those who are held captive currently by the enemy may be released and then come to the right side. But what we often like to do instead is get our mind off the real enemy and point at other human beings as the enemy. And this is truly a classic tactic of the devil. He will often cause mischief and then point at another human to make you hate them instead. I don't know if you ever did this as a kid. Uh, I, 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 to, be so, to be completely honest, I still do it. Where I walk up to someone and I tap on the shoulder and look the other way so they think someone else did it. You ever done that before? Okay. Classic Satan tactic in the spiritual battle. Yeah. He will cause some kind of mischief. It will cause some kind of trouble in your marriage or in your home or in your workplace or in the church. He will cause some kind of mischief and then point the finger at someone else rather uh, so that we will see them as the enemy rather than him. He'll cause problems and point to you to your spouse as the enemy or your children as being the enemy or your boss or your co-worker or the president of the United States or that politician. You'll see them as the enemy. You'll see the Democrats as the enemy or the Republicans as the enemy. Why does he do this? Because he doesn't have to do much work to fight us if he can get us to fight each other. He doesn't need to. It's really honestly kind of a brilliant tactic for him. To just get us to fight in our marriage and fight in our home and fight in our community and fight in our nation and nation fighting against nation. And this is brilliant because we often don't even recognize it's him doing it. We look at other people as our enemy. We must, we must recognize who the enemy really is. Satan is our enemy in this spiritual warfare. He wants you to forget that, but although he is our enemy... And, and I, I want to bring that to our attention. I also, I, I don't want to, I don't want to make too much of Satan. <laughs> uh, some churches, they would come to a passage like this and spend 10 weeks studying Satan. And I, I, I think, I, I have no problem with doing that. We need to understand our enemy. But, but ultimately, I think that everything that we do should be centered not around our enemy, but on, our, on the person who is our advocate. Not our adversary, but our advocate. Jesus Christ himself. Uh, really, a side note, all of our theology should be centered around Jesus. When it comes to your eschatology even, when you're looking at end times, studying end times, your eschatology should be more focused not on the coming of Antichrist, but on the coming of the Christ, Jesus Christ. 
our Savior. And, and the same can be said of any ology, pneumatology, as we're looking at the study of the spirits, which includes angelology and demonology and Satanology. These, though these things certainly bring us to understand, we have a real enemy, the devil, who has many other demons on his side working in this world. Ultimately, we want to focus on Jesus, which is why it's so important for us to notice. And I think it's important. Uh, it's the reason that Paul put this first. I didn't put it first because I'm preaching, so I get to pick which order I put my points in. But Paul wrote this first to say, not only should we know who we're fighting in this war, knowing our enemy, but we also need to understand where our strength to fight the enemy comes from. We need to know our power source. Know our power source. He says in verse number 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in yourself and in the power of your might. Is that what it says? Nope. Be strong in the might of your pastor. Nope. Absolutely not. <laughs> it says this. Be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. Listen. You cannot fight this battle on your own. We must understand. We have an enemy. But we cannot fight him in the strength of our own power. I, uh, I remember. I've only been in one fight in my life. Okay, so I'm about to share with you the time that I had my only fight. It was in seventh grade, and I started the fight with these two guys who had been picking on me. I was I was a pipsqueak in seventh. Really, I was a pipsqueak until my senior year of high school. But I was a pipsqueak in seventh grade. This small little uh, weakling who was in band, uh, who was a nerd, uh, who had just told a girl he loved her. Like I had plenty of stuff to make fun of me about, okay? But they, they just continuously came after me and uh, eventually I got tired of it and I decided I'm gonna do something about it. And so I, after school one day, went up to them, went straight to them and I just swung for the fences with my fist at one of them. And I just smacked them as hard as I could and it kind of pushed them back a little bit. But you know, like, I don't know how many of you have been fight, but this is, not a good, uh, this is not a good thing. When you hit someone and the only thing they do is, <sighs> that means you didn't hit very hard, okay? And then I looked at him, and here's the problem. I didn't have a plan after that. <laughs> I hit him, I had no plan after that, so I just started running. But I remember as I was running, I looked over, and both the guys that I had gone up to were on the ground. Here's what I had forgotten. In the heat of the moment, I had forgotten, I brought backup. I had, I had a friend named Brandon. He was the very opposite of me in every single way. He was massive. He was muscular. He was, he was tall. He was, he was this huge black guy, like literally opposite of me in every way. You couldn't miss the guy, whereas I was easily missed in the middle of the crowd of our middle school. And, and here, I had forgotten that I, I brought him along because the truth was... And I knew this before going into the fight, but in the heat of the moment forgot, I knew I couldn't fight on my own. I wasn't going to survive the fight or, or even remotely win the fight without the help of my friend Brandon with me. And I bring that up just to say this, Christian, too often we pick fights and we try to do it in our own power. But don't go trying to fight spiritual battles in your own strength. You can't do it. You have to have the power and strength of God Amen. on your side. Amen. We need to understand this, really. With the thought of Ephesians and, and the thought of the whole book of the of the whole as of the Bible as a whole, we need to understand this. 
We are only strong in him. We are never strong without him. That we need to understand, I am only strong in Christ. And I am never strong without Christ. We too often think that we can live the Christian life and defeat sin on our own. You can't. Paul said in Galatians, in chapter number 6, he said, In fact, those of you who think you stand, make sure you take heed. Yeah. You're going to fall. <laughs> take heed lest ye fall. And, and when we try to build our marriage, raise our kids, get ahead in the workplace, overcome temptations, or anything else really for that matter, when we try to do these things in our own strength, <coughs> they're ultimately going to fail and falter. Jesus, he said to his disciples in John chapter number 15, he said, hey, you need to abide in me and I in you. You need to be in me for without me, you can do nothing, he said. Listen, that, that word nothing, it means nothing. <laughs> so like, if I can't even breathe without the strength of God, then I need to understand I surely can't fight an enemy that I can't even see without the strength of God. We need to recognize we cannot fight this battle in our own strength. And we need to rely entirely on the power of God to overcome the enemy in our lives. Victory begins when we admit we cannot win on our own. Really, this is the gospel. Listen, if, if you're here today and... And like I said a moment ago, you, you need to be saved. You're not a Christian. The beginning of victory over sin in your life is you realizing you cannot get to heaven on your own. Right. The only way you can find salvation, that you can have a secured home in heaven when you die. The only way is for you to put your faith and trust completely and entirely in Jesus and his victory Amen. over sin and death and the grave. And if you need to make that decision, again, see me after the service. I want to show you from the word of God how you can know this. But then after salvation, this process is ongoing in our lives. Even after salvation, we have to understand that this war we are a part of cannot be fought, cannot be won in our own strength or in the power of our own might. It must be completely done in the strength of the Lord and in the power of His might. Once again, over and over, every day, we must remember, I am only strong in Him, and I am never strong. Without him, I have an enemy. His name is Satan. But I have a source of power on my side that can overcome the enemy. Amen. And that is found in Jesus. Amen. And then I want us to consider lastly, and just for a moment, that God has actually given us resources to tap into his power. His power at our disposal. And to, uh, to defend against our enemy. We need to know our enemy, sure. We need to know our power source. But we also need to know the resources that are at our disposal. Know your resources. And ultimately, the resources at our disposal is called the armor of God. Verse 11 and verse 13, Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In verse 13, he says, Take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. The resources at our disposal are called... The armor of God. We're given weapons to combat the enemy with. And we're, for sake of time today, 
uh, we're not going to actually get into all the specifics of the armor of God. It, uh, you got to come back next week, so we're going to look at that. I've never really done that before. That a point is an introductory thought into another one. But you got to come back next week to know how we use and what the actual specifics of that armor are for us. It's so important. So, so make sure uh, to be here next week. But, but let me just give us a clue about these weapons. Okay? Paul said this about our weapons in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. He says, for though we walk in the flesh... We, we live in the flesh right now and on this earth. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And this is what he says about our weapons. For our weapons are, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshly, but mighty through, the, through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The war we're fighting is spiritual in nature. We've talked about that. Therefore, the resources at our disposal that help us to combat the enemy in the power of the Lord, those resources are spiritual. So we need to take up our armor and fight in the power of the Lord. Listen, we, we have a real enemy. We do. A real enemy, Satan. And, and he hates you. So stop fighting with each other and stand together to fight against the devil. He would love to take us out. But we need to gird your armor on, as the hymn writer said, and stand firm everyone. Resting on his holy word, get in the fight. Stand your ground and stand for Christ. We must not stand idly by while the enemy attacks. And we must understand he most certainly will attack. We need to recognize the real enemy, and as Paul said, stand, withstand, stand strong in the power of the Lord with your armor on and ready for battle. Satan, he will constantly and consistently try to attack you. He will. He'll attack your marriage. He'll attack your home. He'll attack the church. He will constantly attack. But our job is to stand against those attacks. And we must use the resources at our disposal, namely the armor of God. We must put it on and stand against the attacks of the enemy. We need to, in our mind, understand Satan will attack, but in my mind, I know, no, you will not have this marriage. You will not have this home, Satan. You will not have this church. We are going to stand. boy. Stand against Wait. the wiles of the devil. My friends... This is war. It is. And as we heard A.W. Tozer say at the beginning of the message, this world is not a playground. It is a battleground. Yep. So stop playing around. <laughs> stop playing around. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Our enemy is Satan. So be strong in the power of God's might and put on the armor of God. Why? As Paul says, so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil, so that we can withstand in the evil day. And then having done all, to stand. When all is said and done, you're not a casualty in war. You're, you're still standing, is what Paul says. How do, we, how do we make sure when all is said and done, we're not a casualty? We're still standing. We stand by knowing who the enemy really is. We stand in the power of God, not in our own strength. And we stand with the armor that God has given to us ready for battle. Thank you so much for joining us. 
A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media, and tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.